0: invest in in the ministries of those. Yeah I'm green so that means we're we're live. All right we'll take your Bibles and turn tonight to the book of uh, Romans. We're going to be looking at chapter 7 the first six verses and uh, just in review as you can see there in the notes that I gave you last time we met uh, we were looking at verses 15 through the end of the chapter In Romans chapter 1, if you remember right, Paul talked about us being, through the Lord Jesus Christ, given eternal salvation, that the old Adam has been uh, put out of our lives, and we are now placed into a new Adam, and so we have a new nature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And uh, we were put in uh, this new Adam, which is Jesus Christ, uh, when uh, we put our faith in the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins, believing that he was buried and he rose again, and then confessing that we're sinners and asking him to forgive us. And when, once we believe that with all of our heart, and then uh, something wonderful and magical takes place, the Spirit of God comes down from heaven, sent by the Heavenly Father, because you put your faith in his Son. And he takes resident in your life and in your heart. And then he carries you back into a time called uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. And there, while everyone was watching as Jesus Christ was being crucified, You were placed in Christ at that moment. And when Christ was buried, you were buried with Christ. And when Christ arose and ascended into heaven, we are risen. And we are seated now with Christ in the heavenly places. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 says, you need to reckon that to be so. Uh, The word reckon means it's an accounting term and it means, well, that's what it all adds up to. And if we can believe it to be so, then we need to yield our lives to knowing uh, that uh, we are crucified with Christ and we are risen to walk in newness of life. Notice he says in verse number nine, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death have no more dominion over him. For in that he died. He died unto sin once. But in that he liveth. He liveth. Unto God. Likewise. Reckon ye also yourselves. To be dead indeed unto sin. But alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so. This is something that we are to know, and he makes it very clear that um, we are to understand that by receiving Christ and by the Holy Spirit placing us in the body of Christ, that we are no longer ours, we are his, and since we belong to him, he is now Lord over our lives, and we are servants unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes that clear in verse number 15. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God thanked that ye were the servants of sin, But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Then being made free from sin, you became the servants of what? Righteousness. Righteousness. And so we move into chapter 7. And he would have us here to know that since we have been delivered from uh, being servants... Uh, from sin, uh, now we've also been delivered from our marriage to the law. So he moves from one metaphor to another metaphor as he begins to emphasize our sanctification. And as we uh, find in Romans chapter 7, that uh, we have uh, three areas that we're going to struggle with because of this old fleshly body of ours. Uh, we struggle with letting loose of that old uh, bride. And uh, we struggle with sin. And then we also struggle uh, with the flesh as it wars against the spirit. So since we don't have time to talk about all of those, we'll talk about our struggle uh, as we... Uh, divorce or not divorce as we understand that since we are now dead we are no longer married to the law because you are married until death do you part but now that we're married to christ and since we will never die uh, then we are going to be a spouse to him forever and so we, we get into Romans chapter 7, and we see in verses 1 through 6 uh, what he brings out here. Notice in verse number 1, know ye not, brethren, he's speaking to the same. For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For When we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We ought to pray about this And then uh, we'll get into it now, because there's some heavy stuff here. And so we need to kind of stay by the stuff and figure out what kind of stuff we got to deal with here. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First of all, you find that we are to know. The question is, in verse number one, what are we to know? Well, we are to know uh, that verse number one is connecting us with chapter seven. So as we read here in uh, Romans chapter seven, uh, we need to understand that we're getting into the same idea as we move to a different metaphor, but uh, we're still on the same subject, our sanctification. We have been set apart. We've been set apart from being servants of sin to become servants of Christ. We've been set apart from an old marriage to a new marriage. And so, therefore, as we understand, since we have been set apart from sin, then uh, we would realize that sin no longer has any dominion over us. For we are not under the law, but we're under grace. The question is asked, as we talked about this before, well, does that give me a license to sin? God forbid, no. It only gives me the understanding that I'm no longer under the condemnation of my sins. So well, here Paul uses death to illustrate that we have been free from the bondage of the law. We understand according to the law that if we break any part of the law, uh, then uh, we are going to die. So therefore, we, according to this marriage that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, death has been nullified. Uh, We are no longer under sentence of death. We are no longer servants of sin. We have been set free. That's why we read again in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6 and 7 that we are to know that the old man is crucified with him. Since the old man is crucified with him, therefore the body of sin is destroyed or might be destroyed. And so, if we believe that, then henceforth we should not serve sin, for we that are dead are free from sin. If I'm dead to sin, and sin no longer has condemnation over me, then why would I want to be partners with sin? Why would I want to be a servant with sin? Why would I want to continue on in sin? Sin only brings misery, it only brings heartache, it only brings sorrow. Did I have fun when I was living in sin? Oh, maybe for a season. But uh, I always lived my life in fear of God, and I lived my life under the consequences of sin. And so, therefore, since I died with Christ, well, I'm no longer a part of that old life. I'm no longer married to the law and uh, the curse that we find ourselves under when we live by the law. If we continue to do our best, and some people do believe that, well, you got to do both. In order to get to heaven, you've got to keep the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to make sure you obey all the Ten Commandments, and you should. You should do your best uh, to keep God's law. But you don't believe that it is the law that's going to save you or it is part of uh, your salvation. If you believe that, then you're a polygamist because you are still holding on uh, to works in order to be saved. The Bible says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Jesus Christ made it very clear. We talked about that last week in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, and verse number 24. I can't serve both, and yet there are some people out there, and, you know, I've heard preachers say, well, bless their hearts, you know, at least they're trying, and we have to be careful that we don't allow those people to confuse us. Are you keeping your Sabbath? Everybody needs to keep the Sabbath. Are you uh, making sure that... uh, You're living according to all the law. Have you been circumcised? Because if you're going to live according to the law, you do need to be circumcised. You see, these were things that they were dealing with back in those days. Well, if you're going to keep the law, you might as well sacrifice animals. If you're going to keep the law, you might as well just get right back into the book of Leviticus and make sure you do everything that's in there. If you're going to live according to the law, if you're going to marry yourself to the law, if you're not free from the law, then there are 613 laws that you need to observe. But Jesus Christ went to the cross, and he took every one of those laws and nailed them to the cross, and everything that you and I have ever done in violation of those laws, uh, those indictments were nailed with Christ there to the cross. Jesus made it very clear you cannot serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or you will hold to the one and despise the other. And so we can't serve both. And yet there are those out there almost to the point to where they despise the grace of Christ because they're so hell bent on keeping the law and believing the law is what's going to save them. And they will argue till the cows come home that you have to do those things. And they come up with some good arguments. My grandma was a seven-day Adventist. And if you weren't keeping the Sabbath, you weren't saved. Sabbath's important. On Friday, you ate no meat. Or she didn't eat any meat on (laughs) Friday, but she ate meat all the rest of the time. But a good seven-day Adventist, uh, they don't eat meat at all. And they, they come up with all these ideas and they live by those ideas thinking that's a part of their salvation. So Paul illustrates that through Christ's death and resurrection, the believer has been set free from that old marriage. We are now at liberty, not at liberty to sin, but we're at liberty to serve Christ through the freedom of grace. So we read in Romans chapter 7, verse number 4 through 6, let's read it again because it does make for great repetition. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law, that by the body of Christ you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, being made free, wherein we were held that we should serve in newness, in newness of life. That newness of life is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's important is the word that we see there in verse number four, wherefore. Wherefore, my brother, because wherefore, every time we see the word wherefore, it means that it's predicated on something that's already been stated. And so what has already been stated is that you and I need to understand that if we continue to believe that we have to, live according to the works of the law then we are committing spiritual adultery and we're then at that place to where we're not able to walk in newness of life because we're walking down the same old pathway of works that so many people try to walk down and so we try to follow in the oldest of the letter And what does the oldest of the letter mean? Well, the oldest of the letter means that uh, if you're going to live by the letter of the law, then you better keep everything that's in the law. We kind of get the idea of that if you'll just take your Bible and turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. We're in Hebrews chapter 10, and if you'll notice there in verse number 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comer thereunto perfect, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshiper once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For if it is, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away our sins. Wherefore, when uh, he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Burnt offerings and sacrifices thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, And offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not. Neither had pleasures therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So... Here, we understand that Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, he has nullified the old and established the new. Because the old was nothing more than a picture of the new. Why would we hang out in the old? Why would we be a spouse to the old? If you say, well, you need to keep at least part of it. Well, no, you need to keep all of it. In other words, if you need to keep all of it, then Christ died in vain. Because there's a better sacrifice than Christ. You need to go back to the bulls and the goats. But we know that those were only a picture of Christ. So why would we go back there? And yet there were some that they wanted to have Christ and they wanted to continue offering sacrifices. That's why the Lord destroyed the temple, by the way, to make sure that they didn't go there. But eventually the temple will be built and they will go there. And then the Lord will one day show to the children of Israel, you don't need to go there. But why would we go there? Or why would we go partly there? Why not just break away from it? Put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Christ has set us free. Because that's what the law is all about. And therefore there are those that do not understand this. So this is what the wherefore is predicated upon. All those laws. Those 16 and 13, 613 laws. Um, That uh, man has never been able to keep. Israel said, all that you command us we will do. And they were not able to do it. You see, you will always fall short regardless how hard you try. Paul made that very clear in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, there's just no way that I can please God by keeping the law. And by the fulfillment of the law is true righteousness. And there was only one that was able to fulfill all the law. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand that we who fail in trying to keep the law, even though, let's say, you try very hard to keep all of the law... And you've been successful in keeping all of it but one. Well, surely God will be okay with that. Well, not according to what we read in James chapter 2, verse number 10. For he says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So there's no way. Have you ever told a lie? Well, maybe once, but I've never done anything else. Well, then you're guilty of breaking all the law. We need to understand that. That's why the Bible says concerning the law that no whoremonger or adulterer or a liar or thief or murderer shall enter into the kingdom of God. And such were some of us. You see, the law only is a school mile. There's nothing bad or ungodly about the law. The law is good because the law proves how bad we are and how much we need a Savior. Amen. You say, well, what about those that believe and, they, and, and they, they live a very righteous life? They're good people like Mother Teresa. He's such a good person. Well, you know, you're trusting in your righteousness, regardless how righteous you may be. You only bring a curse upon yourself. Because the Apostle Paul again reminds us in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 10, As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. And I'm sure at some time in Mother Teresa's life, she committed some kind of sin. Because you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, God knows. God says all have sinned. And that would include anyone that you may consider to be holy. You know, as the Catholic Church, they... After you've been dead for a hundred years and you've done your best to live like a saint, well, then they may decide to place you into sainthood. (laughs) But they wait a hundred years before they do that. But there are no saints other than the ones that the Lord Jesus Christ has made. We are set apart because of him. We are sanctified because of him. We are made righteous through his righteousness. So the result of the believer concerning the new life, we see here in verse number 5. The result of a believer that is no longer under the law, no longer married to the law, no longer living by the law, no longer a servant of sin, well, what's he doing? Well, he's bringing fruit of righteousness unto the Lord. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that once we understand that there's no way I can live a perfect life, there's no way that I can be totally free from sin. So therefore, every day I need to yield my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day I need to reckon and acknowledge in my heart that Jesus Christ died for me, that he was buried and he rose again for me. And if I'm going to live by any law, I'm going to live by the law of grace. Each day, I'm going to die to Jim Nolan and live through Jesus Christ. I'm allowing allow his spirit to control my life. I'm no longer going to walk in the flesh. I'm going to walk in the spirit. Since the spirit of God lives within me, and since the spirit of God talks with me, And since the Spirit of God prompts me, I'm going to start yielding to His promptings. I'm going to obey the voice of God. And by the way, the Holy Spirit will never tell you to do anything contrary to the Word of God. Because the Word of God and the Spirit of God are synonymous. We get that when we read Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians where we are told there in Ephesians, I forget now, I believe it's chapter 3, that we're to be filled, in Ephesians 4, to be filled with the Spirit. and Colossians, we're to be filled with the Word. Those are synonymous. The Word and the Spirit work together. And every day, we allow the Spirit of God to direct us to the Word of God. And so the Word of God will lead and guide us. So as we are walking in the Spirit, as we are living by the Spirit, we're going to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about that before. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Where do we find what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, we find it in the book of Galatians, but we should also find it in Christians who are walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And did you notice there in Galatians chapter 5, That the fruit of the Spirit, as we see it in verse number 22, the fruit is not plural, it's singular. Because it's all one beautiful fruit. It is a fruit. Notice, as you look over there at verse number 22, it is a fruit of love, it's a fruit of joy, it's a fruit of peace, it's a fruit of long-suffering. And the Bible tells us that... move into that kind of a lifestyle when we do what? Well, notice verse number 22. When they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. So how do I do that? Well, every day I must reckon that Christ died for my sins. My, he was buried and he rose again. That's how I do it. Every day I need to reckon that to be so. Notice what we see again. Romans chapter 6 verse number 11. Likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see the word reckon as I've already stated it is an accounting term. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we believe that that is true and we've received that message into our heart. And then the Holy Spirit has moved into our lives. And therefore we understand that we are new creations in him. We are brand new. Old things are passed away. I don't know about you, but when I was saved... I had that feeling that I was a new person. I don't know. Did you ever have that feeling? I had that feeling. I felt like something happened to me. I'm not the same old boy that I used to be. Uh, All of a sudden, I had a clear conscience toward God. All of a sudden, I had convictions about things that I never had before. All of a sudden, I had a desire to do things that I that I never had desire to do before. All of a sudden, I had a hunger and a thirst for God. Something was going on in my heart and life. And there was no one nagging at me, no one preaching at me, no one saying, hey, it's Sunday morning, get up and go to church. I wanted to be there. No one telling me, now, are you going to read your Bible today? I know that, you know, sometimes as young Christians, we want to make ourselves accountable to somebody. I didn't have that. But the Holy Spirit was making me accountable. Well, I need to read my Bible. I didn't, it wasn't that I needed to, I wanted to. And the more I read my Bible, the more I realized how much I need to read my Bible. You see, all of this happens the moment uh, we begin to reckon those things to be so And then we jump back and notice in Romans chapter 6 again verse number 6 where he says knowing this that the old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. So therefore we go back to Galatians and we understand that the fruit of the Spirit is resulted in that person that has crucified himself with Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, I know myself on the cross. No. You have to let the Holy Spirit put you there. And you only need to be there once. But every day you need to reckon it to be so. In other words, every day you need to reckon, hey, I'm crucified with Christ. And live what is called the crucified life. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20... That we are crucified with him, nevertheless, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, every day I reckon it to be so. Every day the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ gives to me the ability to yield my life unto him. Well, as we move along here, Find that according to Romans chapter 7, verse number 6, that the believer's new life will no longer struggle with the old marriage, but that believer will live a life that is a total servant unto God. <laughs> Notice what he says, so we live in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. But why is it that we do not do so? (laughs) Why is it that we have to struggle with the flesh? You see, next week we'll get into uh, verses uh, 8 through verse number 14 where we have to acknowledge that we are struggling we are struggling with sin it is a struggle because of the old flesh and then we also need to understand that uh, there's a war going on the spirit and the flesh are fighting with each other and so how do we get victory over the flesh how is it that the Spirit of God can win over the flesh since they're competing one with another. Well, it all depends on the one you feed, the one that, <laughs> that you're willing to spend time with. I remember years ago at camp, we, we, we used to, uh, my wife and I, uh, we were hosting a junior camp for all the junior boys and girls, as camp director for the uh, state fellowship there in the state of Washington. And uh, we'd have some anywhere with 300 to 400 children. They'd be age anywhere from the age of second, third grade all the way up to uh, sixth grade. And in order to get their attention and to keep them, you know, occupied you had to illustrate what you were preaching and so we we wanted to preach a whole series on Romans chapter 6 how the spirit man can get victory over the flesh man and so we had uh, a gentleman in our church one of our camp counselors Uh, he played the part of the spirit man And his name was Steve Ragsdale. He is a real skinny guy, about my height, probably only weighed about 130 pounds soaking wet. And then we had this other guy by the name of Jim Watkins. He weighed about 250 pounds, so he was the flesh man. And so as, uh, and then we had the, uh, we had one that was supposed to be the devil always kind of coaching, you know, the flesh man. Uh, to follow him into sin and then we had another man called Mr. Worldly you know that was always enticing uh, the flesh man but then we had the spirit man always trying to encourage him to read his bible and spend time with the Lord and in time uh, he began to read his bible and spirit man started getting some muscles on his arm and before long, we had him all beefed up there, while he looked like Mr. Hulk. And boy, he pounced all over the devil and worldly man and flesh man, and he became victorious. You see, the truth in that is very real. Uh, you know, this one... Uh, Indian that was saved, he kind of pictured it like uh, two dogs living inside of you, a black dog and a white dog, and they're both puppies. And the one that you feed the most is the one that's going to get the strongest. If you feed the black dog, every day he's going to pounce on the white dog. But if you stop feeding the black dog and start feeding the white puppy, that puppy's going to grow, and he's going to get stronger, and he's going to pounce all over that black doggy. You see, if you want to get victory over the flesh, you got to feed the spirit. You have to spend time in the Word of God. You can't walk in the flesh; you got to walk in the spirit. You get up every morning, and there are some things that have to make you have to make sure that are a priority, like prayer and reading your Bible. Before you start the rest of your day, you need to spend time with the Lord. You say, Well, I have to get up at four thirty in the morning and go to work. Well then you need to get up at three thirty to spend time in the Lord with the Lord. You see, <clears throat> the more you feed the spirit, the stronger you're going to become. The less you feed the spirit, the stronger the flesh is going to be. To get victory over the flesh, we've got to be strong in the spirit. That means we've got to walk in the spirit. When we get to Romans chapter 8, he gets into how we are to walk in the spirit and how we can have victory over the flesh. Romans chapter 7 gives us the understanding about the struggles that we deal with. Paul is being very transparent here about himself. And so next week, we'll talk about that transparency. And we understand that God doesn't want us to stay there. You see, if you stay there and you never move out of that place, then there's probably a possibility that you were never saved. Because why would you want to live a wretched life? Why would you want to continue to be a wretched man? Now, there's, there's something that doesn't jive with all of that. When Christ comes into our hearts, we have a whole new motivation to serve God. Now, I can only speak for myself, but I know when I was saved, when I first trusted Christ and when I was saved, well, I'm still saved, but when I first got saved, I had a desire to grow in the Lord. And then I started backsliding, and that desire stopped. But I was never happy. I was filled with conviction. I was filled with regret. I lived my life knowing that if Christ was to come at any moment, I would be ashamed, and I was even fearful of what he may do to me. But when I gave my heart fully over to the Lord, then i didn't want to live in that life anymore i wanted to do better for the lord and you know here's the the thing that's so amazing the better you do for the lord the dirtier you feel i don't understand that the closer i get to the lord the dirtier i feel but i sure don't want to get away from the lord cuz then i know that i'm just total garbage then <laughs> And so every day I find myself asking God and thanking God for his love and forgiveness. Uh, yeah, That's just the way it is when you get close to the Lord because his light is a spotlight on your life. And you begin to realize just how short you fall within the old flesh. And you begin to thank God for his tremendous grace. But the farther you get away from the Lord, the better you start thinking about yourself. Well, I'm not that bad. At least I'm not like some of those people down there. You get closer to the Lord and you think, well, boy, Lord, I I got so much in my backyard, I can't worry about those people. With every head bowed.